Founded in 1903, the Idaho State Reform School was home to the region's most wayward youth. Children were sent there, most against their will, trying to be reformed. It was home to many orphans, truants, runaways, and those labeled wayward or incorrigible for unspecified reasons or those without proper parental care. The conditions here were reportedly so bad that some of the teens chose to take their own lives. On the property, there is a small cemetery with 22 graves, some of which are unmarked. These are the graves of those who died at the school with nobody to claim their bodies and return them properly home. Stay tuned. Mystery Media Group presents Destination Mystery, Case File 19. listening to mystery media group Yay! hello i'm melissa with ghost girl memoirs and i'm mike with paranormal treasure hunter and i'm sierra i'm bella with paranormal teens and you're listening to destination mystery we believe the paranormal is all around us and every destination is an adventure we never know where we're going to find an adventure but we do know that we have an interesting story to tell when we return we're not going to the same location or telling the same story you've heard over and over most of our destinations will be in locations you'd never think to investigate or explore. This adventure took us on our very first paranormal investigation as a group and started us on our paranormal journey. This investigation took place on January 31st, 2019 on New Year's Eve. My husband gave me a spirit box for Christmas and I couldn't wait to try it out. And Mike got a thermal for Christmas and couldn't wait to try that out. So we honestly were not expecting to get anything. We did, and we got hooked. That was a thermal imager, not thermal underwear. What did I say? Did I say thermal underwear? <laughs> no, you just said thermal. Oh. <laughs> well. But on our way home or to mom's house to meet up with you, we saw those things in the sky, and we got so excited because we were going to go on a ghost hunting trip, and we got to see UFOs. I was really excited about that. Later on, I found out they were just those little balloon. The lantern things? Lanterns. I was so disappointed. That's dumb. Yeah. At least it got us excited. Got me excited. This place has been there all through our, well, as long as we've been alive. A friend of mine lived down the road from the reform school. And we'd drive by it occasionally and we'd look at it and we think it was haunted. And many times during our schooling years, people would, we'd hear on the news that somebody escaped. And so we had to lock our doors and stay inside and they're considered armed and dangerous and we feared for our lives. And now I'm wondering if I know they escaped, but maybe that was just a little bit on the farce. (laughs) I don't think they were all that harmless or dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, we live in a small town and nothing goes on out there. So people make make more out of it than they need to, I think. Yeah. And we lived way on the other side of town. They'd have to go through a thousand homes through the town (laughs) to get to us. I don't know why we were so worried. Anyways. 
the whole time growing up, growing past it, did you ever think to go over to it and walk and get inside? No. I don't think I did either. I don't know why, because I've always been fascinated with the place, but I've never, I don't think I ever thought to go over there and actually try and get inside. Well, it was still in use when when I was in high school. Yeah, part of it was. And and then I remember a family bought it for their home after that. So I don't know that it was totally vacant at the time, at least not for long. But I did hear stories about how bad it was out there. And I honestly didn't believe a lot of them until I found the newspaper articles and the investigations and stuff that happened. And then I started to think, well, maybe a lot of that really was true then. Do you want to share those two articles real quick? Yeah. So one of the articles talks about ongoing investigation. The title of the article was Children Are Beaten in Idaho Reformatory. Boys Stripped of Clothing and Lashed with Straps. St. Anthony, Idaho, August 6th, and I don't see a date. Um, Sensational testimony to the effect that boys were stripped of their clothing and lashed with heavy straps was given today at the opening of the reform school investigation. Four straps were introduced and it was testified that they were used for beating children. More startling facts are expected to develop later. Governor Haley is attending the investigation. There was another newspaper article that I found about a gentleman who went to school there when he was 16. So he said he was there when he was 16 and he has strong memories of his stay. At that time, it was called the Idaho Juvenile Correction Center in St. Anthony. He arrived there on March 31st, 1955, because he had got caught borrowing gas. And he was sentenced there for being incorrigible. And he says, as I remember it, the basic structure of the facility was set up in military order. There were four companies, A, B, C, and D. I was assigned to D. The routine was that we marched in formation whenever we were anywhere as groups. My first night, I shall never forget, we slept in an open, locked, and guarded dormitory. I had the upper bunk. The light in the ceiling was on all night. Each company had about 25 kids. So I'm thinking that that dormitory room was full of 25 boys, ages ranging from six to 21. I can't imagine having 16 or six-year-old kids in a room with 21-year-olds. That seems really weird to me. Yeah. I consider the facility as much an orphanage as a reform school. He described a boy who committed some infraction, suffered 10 to 15 whacks on the butt with a leather strap. I was duly impressed that these folks were very serious and would not tolerate any misbehavior, he said. I learned at the moment that I was required to behave. Answer with a yes, sir, or no, sir, and mean it. This revelation was a major contributor to my excess in the Navy and my life since. I settled into the routine, keeping my nose clean, and I got along pretty well. Then he said I, he worked in the blacksmith shop, he cooked and cleaned in the kitchen for most of his stay, and he was allowed to watch a little bit of TV on Saturdays. His mother's diligent efforts to get him released worked finally when he was released in mid-September of 1955, about two weeks after he celebrated his 17th birthday. When I was released, I was provided with a shirt, suit, shoes, and a belt that were branded with IITS, and I still have the belt today. So he talks about how strict they were when he attended. He took some gas and he spent that long there? Yep. Wow. Nowadays, I don't think that would happen. And he also describes that it was as much an orphanage as it was a reform school. So I don't think a lot of these kids were necessarily that dangerous. Like the women's part of the Wyoming State Penitentiary. Yeah. A lot of really belong there. Yeah. But they had nowhere else to put them. Exactly. 
they were runaways or they didn't had families that didn't wouldn't, wouldn't take them in. So they had to go somewhere. We always called it the juvenile delinquent center. We called it West Fremont. Well, that too. Because <laughs> <laughs> our school was South Fremont and there was a North Fremont. And every time we went, somebody, we'd, people would be like, so where are you from? Oh, we're from South Fremont. What'd you do to get into there? They think we were talking about their form school. Well, I killed a kid for making fun of me. So watch That's out. Too many questions. So the, as I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but as we were going through the tour with the gentleman that owns it now, there were originally two dormitories, right? There was one for boys and one for girls. Did one of them get torn down? I think the boys burned down. They also had a hospital, a dairy, a blacksmith shop. And a cemetery. Oh, and a cemetery. Yep. So the one dormitory that housed the boys was eventually burned down. And the one that we got to investigate was the dormitory that housed the girls. Towards the end of the 20th century, the building was decommissioned and eventually sold to the family who now resides there. I know there was one family previous before the family that resides there now. But the family that resides there now has reported paranormal activity pretty much since they first moved in. They've heard voices, they've seen shadow figures, things get moved around. And one of the family members even has reported being bitten. The young autistic boy that lives there states that there's a good ghost that protects him from the bad ones. Do you remember that? Yep. He said she lives under the bed. Under his bed in his room, right? And protects him from the two ghosts that live next door in the infirmary that are bad and they bother him. So they, she protects him from them. And he described those two ghosts as one being a girl and one being a boy, didn't he? I believe so. The yeah. first night that family moved in, he heard a little girl crying. So, and that was the first night they oh, moved in. That's right. There. That's right. And he looked at every single one of his kids because he thought it was his kids crying and they were all dead asleep. And he spent, or spent two more hours trying to find who was crying. No matter where he got, he never got closer or farther away from the crying. And he never did find it and eventually gave up and went to bed. I don't know that I'd ever be able to sleep first night in a place like that. Exactly. That would have bothered me pretty bad. So there is a cemetery on the grounds. It's kind of overlooking the facility. It's behind it. There's 22 of them buried there. And the only kids that were buried there is because they had nowhere else to go. No family, nobody contacts. They had nowhere to put them or nobody to take them so they're basically kids that weren't claimed by their families and so that's why they got buried there seems like there was about nine of them who died during an epidemic yep from 1908 to 1910 nine of them died i'm assuming that's the flu epidemic it never said it just had an epidemic maybe tb i don't know there were tombstones there at one time i was told that none of them were marked but i don't know if that's true but one of the um, activities that they had the students do later on down the road was go in and clean up that cemetery. And a, a local mortician donated some markers for all the graves of the ones that they knew. And I, I wonder if that was our uncle. I don't know. It doesn't say. He was very generous. Yeah, he was very generous. I can see him doing something like that. So they cleaned up the cemetery. They built a fence around it and they put markers on the graves of the ones that they knew for sure. The last person was buried there in 1939. And while we were doing an investigation up in the third floor, we saw the initials BB carved pretty big and pretty heavily into the trim. And then one of my daughters was looking at the list of people buried there. And those initials matched one of the people buried in that cemetery. Was that you, Sierra, that noticed that? Yeah. 
I looked at all the papers on the tables of like the cemetery and found the matching names to the ones on the walls upstairs. Now that's what I call good investigation. That was a smart thing to do, to be able this to corroborate is, the things that we heard, you know, with what we captured. This is why we start looking so closely at what's written on the walls and trim and around the area. Because we have, in this investigation, we heard a name and saw it written on the wall. And we saw initials written on the wall and found their name in the records. So that was kind of interesting to see. Yeah, the family kept pretty good documents. They have a little room upstairs where they show, like it's got the blueprints, the cemetery records, some articles about the the building. And it's, so it's kind of a, their way of honoring those who were there before them, I guess. And it, I thought that was pretty neat. There was one grave that only has an arm in it. One of the students lost his arm in a harvesting accident. I don't know if it was there at the school. I'm assuming it was a harvesting accident at the school because they had a little farm. And to make him feel better, they held a burial service for it. So one of the graves is just an arm. Did you guys ever see that movie, Fried Green Tomatoes? Didn't the little kid lose his leg in a train accident? And they bury his leg. I'm pretty sure that's how it goes. When I was in high school, I was helping my uncle dig up a foot and leg because it was amputated years before, but they buried it in the wrong spot. And the guy had finally died. So we had to dig up his foot and leg and move it to where the body was. And my uncle was digging around and he told me to hold my hands out and he dropped. I thought they were rocks at the time, but they were toe bones and there wasn't much left, but I was holding them in my hands and he went over and we buried him properly in the neck, wherever his his grave was at. Because it was just buried in a box and everything was gone by the time, but we wanted to make sure we got it put in the right spot. That's good. I mean, that's a good thing to do. It's just kind of strange. Yeah. Especially as a teenager, you're like, okay, yeah, this is my job. No idea what we were doing at the time. (laughs) Yeah, so I'll read this other article. We had heard about a girl committing suicide there, and I wasn't positive that it was actually true, but we did find the article. So let me read it. So the title of this article was Girl's Body Found at State Industrial School, Coroner Terms Death Suicide, No Inquest Scheduled. In St. Anthony, March 18th, the body of Hope Chankin, 14-year-old Mexican inmate of the Idaho State Industrial School, found hanging in her room Monday afternoon, was taken to Pocatello Tuesday for burial services, according to E.B. Newby, superintendent. So E.P. Newby was another name that we found on the wall upstairs. It said, I love EP. And so I'm assuming they were, one of the girls had scratched in there. They were talking about him. The girl's body was discovered by a matron of the school who was alarmed that she couldn't get into the girl's room, called another officer. The two forced their way in, dislodging the girl's body from where it had been hanging from a noose, fashioned out of a belt and tied to the door's transom. No inquest. After a brief investigation Tuesday morning, W.M. Hansen, Fremont County Coroner, said there would be no inquest. He and a physician were called to the school Monday afternoon when the young girl was found. Mr. Newby said that Hope had had some trouble with another girl in the school. The two were placed in separate rooms that she may have been brooding over the trouble as well as what he termed an unhappy home life. The superintendent said she was neurotic and emotionally unbalanced. Officers in the school several times heard her make dramatic statements 
that she was going to take her own life. The girl eventually removed the cord belt from her dress, stood on a chair next to the door, tied the belt around her neck, and hooked one end through the transform and then stepped off the chair, Mr. Newby added. Mr. Hansen termed the girl's death as suicide. The girl was first committed to the institution in 1939 for general delinquency. Mr. Newby continued, she was paroled in September of 1940 and then returned in December of the same year because she broke parole. She was survived by her mother of Pocatello, four sisters, and three brothers. Transom is, you know, the doors that have a window above them? Uh-huh. They can open the window for airflow and stuff. Oh. It's part of that. Oh, like the on-top window type things? There's a window above the door. Uh-huh. And some that you could open and close to let airflow through. Transom is part of that. Ah, uh, I did get a picture of those, yeah. So there are rumors of Hope roaming the halls upstairs. Michael, do you want to talk about why the third floor was sealed off? Well, I remember him telling us about a little girl tried to jump off or was pushed off or possibly pushed off and fell from there. Um, Some girls pushed one of the school marms down those flights of stairs. But this girl, Hope, was in her room because they had to push the door open to get to her because she was hanging in front of the door. But he did mention... I thought he said a little girl had hung herself in that, what do you call that thing in the center, that breezeway, that... Like a tower. Well, it went from the first floor to the third floor, then through the attic, and it had skylights in it. So light came all the way through all three floors. That's what I remember being told, the square thing in the middle of the whole building that had like the skylight at the top. That's where we were told that she was hung. That's what I heard. There could be three different suicides that happened up there. I'm sure there was plenty of them. Oh, true. Or attempts. Or attempts or made to look like suicides. I'm sure a lot of crap went on down there. And we can't substantiate any of that. That's just what I remember him telling me. The third floor had been sealed off because of those events. And it was too hard to maintain. So they sealed it off in the 1950s, early 1950s. And it remained closed off till 2013. So roughly 60 years, it was completely closed off. Nobody had gone up there in 60 years. When they opened it up, I mean, they cut the last three steps off and they plaster and lath on the walls, chicken wire. I mean, they did everything. You couldn't get up there if you wanted to in those 60 years. When they bought the house, they decided to open it up and there was a little stati- a little ladder right there for the last three steps to before you get onto the actual steps. I thought that was pretty cool. I remember when he showed us that and he's like, you know, you got to be real careful. A lot of people don't want to go up there. And it was all I could do not to just run. I was so excited. <laughs> I wanted to see that place my whole life. I wanted to see that place. It was, it was kind of cool because he talked about when he first tore into that wall and you know, found the stairs and went up them. Everything was left exactly as it had been in the 1950s. Exactly. Him being able to go through it and kind of see everything was pretty neat experience for him. And he actually left. There was a broom that was found under some floorboards that was still there. Nobody's touched it. It was like an old witch broom. He said, I don't know if they were sweeping or they flew it in, but it (laughs) hasn't been touched in 60 years. And there was also a box of big peat soap, P-E-E-T soap. It's a cardboard box of it. And that closed down in 1950, 51. They stopped making that. So that cardboard box has been there 70 years now, 70 years plus sitting right there right where it was left. I thought that was cool. And that third floor was where we found a lot of 
tally marks on the walls and the writings and stuff like that. Do you guys want to talk about what you found on the walls upstairs and around the window seals and doorways and stuff? When we were upstairs, we found on the one window seal in the room where we did the spirit box session, we found a lot of names and like little hearts with like initials in it and tally marks. That's where we found the initials for the girl that also matched the cemetery. The boy. It was a boy. Boy, sorry. And then... The matron's rooms were upstairs and on the walls that had the matron's names and the dates, which matched some of the papers that we found later. One of the uh, writings on the wall said, and I, I hope I've read this right. These kids had really nice handwriting, but it was, it's, it's a hundred years old, some of them. And it said Monty Gee and Jordy Dobson. And then it looks like a girl wrote under that, under Jody Dobson, wrote Loves Ronnie Hammond. So I think there was a three-way, they were fighting for the girl, yeah. And I found one that said, I love EP. And we discovered that EP was the superintendent's name. And then there's a bunch of tally marks under that. She wrote on the one of the trims going on the side trim of the window. It says Jordy Dobson came March 4th, 1953, left July 23rd, 1954, came back August 27th, 1950. It was either 54 or 59. I think it's 54. I think it is too, but I wasn't sure. And then it says leaving in 61. And then there's a dash. And below that, she wrote best friends are Rose Franks. Rosie Thompson and Sharon Vaughn, I believe. And I believe we did get a Rosie on our spirit box I also. I believe we did too. Rose or Rosie. And then there was another one very similar to that, and I believe her name was Susan. This one's even a little bit sadder because it says, came November 5th, 51, went home November 4th, 52, came back November 5th, 53, ran away three times, going home someday, age 13. You imagine at age 13 trying to run away. Yeah, three times. A quick question. Do you know exactly what day they closed the top? Like what, like year? 1950, 51, right in there. They didn't give a specific day. They said 1950s. Because you were naming some dates that the girl scratched on the wall that, that happened true. after You're the day correct. he said he closed it. That is true. That's when it said it could have been, it said 1950s. But one, I think the last date you read was 61. Going home in 61. So. Oh. oh. But it's the last date was 54. But it said 1950s, whether it meant the year 1950 or 1950 through 1959, somewhere in that area. It didn't specifically say. It just said 50s, plural. Yeah, and we just know that it was closed off for over 50 years before they opened it back up. Not sure on the exact date there. Um, Not exactly sure why they closed it off either, but those were just rumors we'd heard. That's the third floor. And I did, we did get a few interesting things on the third floor. This was the very first time I'd ever used a spirit box and I was not expecting anything at all. I want you guys to listen to, cause I can't tell exactly what it says. I'll play the first one. When we, uh, got there and sat down to do this, I had no idea what you were planning on doing. <laughs> and to be honest, I was a little freaked out because i i didn't realize we were doing this they we do it a seance because uh <laughs> well yeah of course what were you I expecting thought, i thought we were looking at an old building <laughs> i had new equipment like i said my husband gave me a spirit box for christmas and i could not wait to try it out boy i sure didn't think we'd get anything that fast but i didn't either really didn't and we were about four minutes into it when we got this this first one i'll play it so you girls have to tell me what you think it says can you say hello 
What do you hear, Sierra and Bella? The first little bit is like hello, like really fast, but yeah. I can tell you what the second one says. Second one sounds like I said what? 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 <laughs> like it was confused. I heard. I heard hello, hello. So it was like two different voices, but yeah. it could have said what? Let's listen to it one more time. Can you say hello? It does sound like what? Hello, what? Yeah. Ghost is so, confused on how we're talking to it. Like, that was the very first thing that came across the spirit box that I was like, what did that really just say hello? Because I asked it to say hello. The thing and, was, is it was nobody in the room. No. And it, that's what just took us all by surprise. We were all being deadly quiet and uh, to hear a voice come across there was quite surprising. I remember Sierra was to my left, I think. And I remember reaching over and grabbing her. I was like, oh, it's working. <laughs> Every time we heard something, she'd slap my leg. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's working. <laughs> I was so excited. But it does sound like two young girls. To me, it's two different voices. I could be wrong. Was this place better than your home? Yes. That was very cool. What do you think about that one? Did you hear it? Yeah, it sounded like I said yes. Let me play it one more time. Was this place better than your home? Yes. It did sound like a, a boy, though, to me. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it, it sounds like, like a guy. Mm -hmm. So that confirmed maybe why they ran away from home and would rather stay there. Maybe that's why a lot of them broke parole because they didn't want to be at home. Understanding their home life were pretty crappy too. This one, when we were up there with the spirit box, we did hear the name Jody come over several, I think at least twice, I want to say. More than once. That's More than sure. once. And I couldn't, I mean, when you, when you get it on your audio equipment and you've got those, you know, it's flipping through the channels, it's kind of hard to hear a lot of it. And when you clean it up, sometimes it just sounds really mechanical. But this is one that I did think we captured it. Let me just play this for you. You tell me what you hear and if it's something you remember. Sure. Were you an orphan? Were you an orphan, Jody? Okay, I, I amplified this because I didn't hear it at the time at all. Girls, help me. That's what I hear. Hear yes, please. Yes, please. Okay. Yeah, were you here? Help me. I hear yes, please. That sounds like girls, right? Or no? Wait, play it again. Oh, yeah. yeah, sounds like girls. I'm going to take this out because this is me talking. This is why you should always shut up in an investigation and be quiet. <laughs> okay, here you go. You thought it said what? I thought it said help me until Sierra said that. Now I hear yes, please. I hear yes, please. Girls, yes, please. What was the thing that you said in between? I said, what was that? Because um, it said girls and I said, what was that? Yes, please. That's a little creepy. Yeah, I think you might be right, Sierra. You have a way better ear than I do. Girls, yes, please. Interesting. I wonder what that means. We got her crying. That's when I got, that's when I started going, holy crap. And then Chris told me the story 
right after that. I heard the cry too. Yeah, me I too. remember that was it. So scary. It gave me goosebumps. I wanted to it gave cry. Me goosebumps too. And I remember the little girl saying Jody several yeah. times. That's when I'm like, you know what? I where did I see that? And that's when I jumped up and ran to the window and saw it was Jordy, not Jody, Jordy, written there on the wall. That's and when that's, I started thinking, hmm. You started naming, because you said Susan, there was a Susan on the wall. You started naming the, the names that you saw there. And it seems like we got a reaction with, was it Jordy? It was Jordy. Jordy. We thought we heard Jody, but it was oh. several times. And then, it, but it was Jordy. I remember like taking pictures of those names before we sat down, but I wasn't really paying attention to who they were. Right. Next right. time I'll do opposite so that I can say the names while we're doing the it, session. But it was so much clearer while we were sitting there. It really was. And we heard stuff that we were just proud in shock. We talked about it all night. We were like, this actually worked. We can't believe. But then, the, then to see it written on the wall. Yeah. And then to hear the guy talk about the girl crying, because we yeah. heard her sobbing. It was just a second or two of it, but we did. I definitely heard that. On the, In this picture, it has Rose and Rosie as two separate people. Their handwriting was very elegant back it's then. Very, yeah, way, way better than ours. Um, did you remember anything else happening, seeing what looked like a shadow to my left in the room that kind of like moved across the room pretty fast at one point? And I didn't say anything at the time, but afterwards... Somebody mentioned it, and I was like, yeah, I think I saw that, too. Do you remember any of that? Between where we were at and that skylight? Yes. Yes, I saw a shadow move across there, too, but where it came from, I have no idea, because the only light in the room was a little bit coming up the stairs. That was the all the light we had. Yeah, it was completely and dark. So something had to cross over that. I did see that once. Did you girls see that, too? I remember seeing it, but also I was sitting there and I was like, did I actually see that? Or am I just imagining stuff because I'm scared? Right. So, right. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was my first investigation. I was pretty scared. So I closed my eyes the whole time. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't mind a couple times. And I saw the shadow like once, but, or I'd stare at the blue dot from the, yeah, like, I would just stare at that thing. Not the look whole away. Time. <laughs> I, sometimes I feel like my eyes are just playing tricks on me because they're trying to adjust to the dark. So I can't really quite trust what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. But, but when I saw that and then Mike mentioned it, I was like, Oh, I think I saw that too. How did you girls feel about the investigation? Like, were you excited going into it? Were you not, did you not want to go? What did you think? I was really excited. I got scared a couple times, especially in the shower room. Didn't really scary. I was pretty scared at first, but like I didn't get like an evil spirit feeling at all. It was not that bad. Did you have fun, Bella? Yeah, it was cold. My butt got cold after it, sitting down. It was really cold. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was like crazy that like we could hear through the spirit box. box. Yeah, spirit box. And then like seeing the thermal image and on the floor. The footprints. So let's talk about the shower room real quick. On the second floor, there's a big shower room that we went into. And the owner told us about how some of the girls had lured in one of the school matrons. And they hit her over the head with an iron and left her there to die. And she bled all over the floor. Yes. But before that, he didn't know about the story. He took a group in a week before. And one of the women who was a clairvoyant said, was there a a murder here? He's like, "Uh, not that I know of. She says, I have a distinct impression. They had a lady there that mentioned the murder. And then after that lady came, the psychic or whatever, someone came and said their mom remembers it. So they had both accounts. I thought the teacher person didn't die or whatever. Like she got out. Yeah, I don't think she did die, but they yeah, they just left her to die. But she was left there for a long time and she bled all over the floor. 
they tried to kill her. The first group said, I have a, a vision that some blood on the floor, person lay in there, she tried to, somebody tried to kill her. And then this, he, he didn't know anything about it. The second group, the lady said, yeah, that was my mom. She was in on grandma. She was in on trying to kill that woman with the flat iron. I remember um, we were talking about that in the room. I mentioned, can you imagine being in a school and trying to help these young women and then they wanting to murder you? And how horrible that would be. And I remember feeling a really cold breeze and tingle come across the back of my neck. And I grabbed my EMF there to see if I could get like a temperature read or anything. And it went off. So that was interesting to me that I was able to kind of cooperate a feeling that I had with that piece of equipment. And that kind of blew me away too. I was like, wow, you know, if I didn't have this, I wouldn't know that the temperature dropped or that anything happened. I mean, I couldn't verify it. I could just say this is what, what I felt. But I felt like something like came up behind me as I was talking about that. And it made the hair on my head stand up. Michael's thermal came in really handy when we were in that shower room. You want to talk about what you saw, Michael and Sierra? Yes, this is the first time we'd taken the thermal imager with us on an investigation. And we were playing with it. We went into that shower area two different times on our way up to the third floor and on the way back and use that thermal imager for quite a while in there. And there's a shower room and then there's a smaller room to the side of it, which is where they dried off and got dressed. In the middle of that floor is a a shower drain. Both rooms had a drain in them, but we were standing by the drain and it was bright red. And it was like, oh, what happened? Well, it's just pipe goes down to the first floor. So it was warmer down there. So we could see the heater on that drain. And then I was moving around and right next to that drain, there was two large footprints. I'm like, what the crap? Well, that's got to be one of ours. So we all came back in and stood there and then moved. We couldn't see any other footprints except for those two because we all had snow boots on. So our heat was not transferring from our feet to the floor. But there was definitely two footprints standing right there, bright red ones. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And it seems like one of us took off our shoes and stood there for a minute to see if it would show up. And it it still didn't because we were freezing. Not Not nearly as bright as the one. No. Yeah. So we don't know whose footprints those belong to. (laughs) The other thing that happened in there is I was shining my thermal imager around and this area is not heated. So everything was cold. You didn't get hardly any, any readings on that thing. And we all came out of the shower room and we were standing in the drying or dressing area, looking back into the shower room. And I just looked down at my thermal imager I saw the outline of a man just the right side, just like in the cave, the demon cave episode, outside outline of the man. You could see his whole arm, though, and he was holding the hand of a little girl who was standing there. Her arm was up above her head, holding on to his hand. She had pigtails and you could tell she was wearing a skirt. And I didn't couldn't believe I was seeing this until I looked over and saw Sierra's face. What did you see, Sierra? Well, I saw a little girl holding someone's hand, just swinging. Like I could see the skirt move. At first I thought it was our reflections because you can get the reflections on the thermal imager from the other side of the shower room, but it was too short and none of us were wearing dresses and pigtails. And it scared me really, really bad. Yeah, and I was like, what, what, what? (laughs) Nobody was holding hands either there. This is when we decide. I decided that you're supposed to, uh, or I needed to start using my camera and filming as I was using my thermal imager. 
so that I didn't miss any more of those. I wish I had that on on a camera. That thermal, if if you have a good thermal imager, it's captured probably our other than that in our EVPs, it's captured the best evidence we've ever gotten. Things that you there's no explanation for. There's no explanation and it, they're not glitches. No. And it's not an accidental image. But it's not like if you not like us. No, like you put the camera on us where it's pure white. <laughs> These are not the same, but it's it's different than when we capture it. We can tell the difference between the shadow of our reflection of ourself and this, the images that we know for sure we can't explain, but you can definitely tell it's, it's a different image than one of us. That was really exciting um, to capture those things on our very first investigation. And I remember we all got in the car afterwards and left and that's all we could talk about. It seems like we stayed up for hours. Oh, we did hours. I was just blown away. We went home and watched. Oh, we watched the ghost. Yeah. We watched the ghost adventures episode where they went there. And I think we probably got better evidence than they did. Only we didn't know how to document it. (laughs) That's when I learned about the little girl living under the kid's bed. Oh, that's right. I didn't know that before. Yeah. And all of our recordings were of a little girl. We learned about the little girl that hung herself. And then we heard the little girl cry. And then we heard the guy was telling us about the crying he heard from a little girl. And all these things started. And then he talked about on the show, they talked about the doctor next door who people have seen. Talk about the article you found about the hospital. These people that bought the house turned it into a haunted attraction. I'm going to read that part real quick. People go through there and they made comments on one of the props in there. She has been repeatedly seen in the surgical room standing in a corner next to the other props. Some of the guests and cast members have had experiences over there. Basically, there's a little ghost girl. And then she says, during the first two years, customers would come out and say, we really liked the little girl in the corner. And we'd say there was no little girl in the corner. The little ghost girl was participating in there and people saw her in that haunted attraction. There have been a lot of sightings of a little girl with what they think is a doctor over there. So I'm wondering if what we saw in the shower room was the doctor holding the hand of that little girl. Could have been. I mean, we saw this before we even heard the story. I don't know. Yeah, I had no idea about the doctor. I didn't either. I didn't know anything about the little girl, to be honest, before we went either. in. Yeah, I didn't either. But that was interesting. We you know we talked about it afterwards, too. Why were we able to capture some of this evidence that we did? Because we didn't know we were we didn't really know what we were doing. But Michael said, well, you know, we had was it four young girls with us. We had four of them. And Hobbs. Oh, yeah. And Hobbs. I think they were all there. So we had four teenage girls and one teenage boy with us at the time. I feel like, you know, hey, we're around our own people. Let's communicate with these guys or whatever. I don't know. What do you girls think? Through all of our investigations, I feel like having the different age groups always work better. Like at this one, we got more with the younger kids there. One of the milk factory, the guy only talked to my dad. I think it's nice having the variety because some ghosts only like certain people, I guess. They feel comfortable (laughs) around them. I agree. I think it works really well. It just, it's so fascinating to me. I think from what we saw and heard, if I was just sitting there listening to it on your box, I probably wouldn't think much of it. I just chance, hooey, whatever. But then to see that name written on the wall, a couple of the names written on the wall, and then to hear the cry, and then hear the dad talk about the crying, and then hear the little girl's voice, and then see the doctor, well, a man and a little girl on the thermal, and then he see the show and they talk about the man and the little girl. To hear it and see it, and then hear it and see it on something else, kind of adds a little more credibility to it credibility to it makes you maybe it's not just ooey. and my conclusion was that that place definitely had paranormal activity and it could be documented that what they were experiencing they were experiencing for sure with uh, the paranormal activity it doesn't all 
have to be a bad thing. No, I mean, we didn't really experience anything bad. The kid was autistic and he, he talked a mile a minute and it, it to me, it seemed like he, he had a good friend and a little girl, somebody mm-hmm. he could talk to. Yeah. To be quite honest. And we know that there are a lot of tragic incidents that occurred there. And so some of that negative energy has probably stuck around, but I don't think it was all negative. Some of those people considered that place their home. That's where their friends were. They had teachers that cared about them. Do you like this place better than home? And it was, yeah, much better. We're going to go back though. I've got the contact number for him and he's checking to see when a good time for us to go back is. So nice. We'll be back there. I want to check the walls again pretty close and see if we can't find Hope's name or yeah. some more stuff there. Me too. I remember my friends teasing me for spending New Year's with a ghost instead of with normal people. <laughs> Having a party. Yeah. We had way more fun than they did. Oh, yeah, for sure. We're the weirdos that would rather do that than go to a stupid New Year's party. Destination Mystery is a production of Mystery Media Group. You can find our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Before we go, we'd like to play a trailer from our good friends, What Goes Bump in the Night podcast. Hello and welcome to What Goes Bump in the Night. I'm your host, Trevor Jensen, and with me is... Riley Clark. And on this podcast, we explore everything spooky, extraterrestrial, unexplained, and supernatural. Bringing you our own personal experiences, experiences from our guests, creepy, creepy stories... So join us around the campfire, or for just a Riley and Trev talk where we talk about any topic that we feel is relevant to anything that day. And you could also just come for these creepy pastas that we find on these forums. So join us around the campfire and find out who really goes bump in the night. enjoy our show please like subscribe and leave a five-star review we will be introducing other mystery media group guests in our upcoming episodes along with weekly bonus material if you'd like to see more pictures and evidence from our adventures visit www.destination-mystery.com you'll find a link to our blog as well as a link for merch and contact information until next time find your own destination solve the mystery This is a production of Mystery Media Group. Yay!